Hello. Oh, nice. I can see it. There you go. Wise. Yes, hello. Hello, Doc. Hello, Urbin. Naklaro na kung tayo ng Doc. Hmm. Nice. Kolban, Urbin. Lang. <laughs> eh, manok dari semua dulu. Tak dilihat kayak maklarung.
Hello? Hello, one, two, three. Maklaro ra? Maklaro ko. Ikaw daw, sir. Hello, one, two, three, hello. Mic test. I-mute, Santa Balik, sir. Si. Mag-start na ta, sir. Sige, Irvin. Kadungan ka na ko. Sure. Hey, hello everyone. My name is Irvin from the Carolinian Physics and Astronomy Society. And welcome to the first installment of this webinar series where we'll be answering the question, saan naabot ang physics degree mo? Today, we are joined by Dr. Xavier Bacalia, who is a graduate of the BS Applied Physics program from the University of San Carlos. Right up after obtaining his bachelor's degree, he joined the department as a physics instructor, handling courses in mechanics and electromagnetism. He then took up a master's degree also in USC and had the opportunity to perform his thesis at the Free University of Amsterdam in Netherlands. Following his research stint at the VU, he was admitted as a PhD candidate in Leiden University, where he specialized in spectroscopy of molecules with an astrophysical context. Now he is back at USC after finishing his PhD studies and is involved in the educational and research activities of the department. Hi, Doc. How are you doing today? Hello, Irvin. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the introduction. Mayorman. So. So Dr. Bakalia has prepared a presentation for us today. So why don't we start yes. with that doc? Okay. Can um, you share your I'll screen? Share the screen, yeah. Do you see something? Uh, yes, Doc. Uh, yes, Doc. Okay. Uh, so sa, shall I start, Irvin? Asige, Doc. Asige, um, first of all, um, dalang salamat kay sa mga organizers um, sa pag-invite na ko aning uh, activity nila and um, um, to all of you watching there in FB, I hope you're staying safe and healthy and please indulge me as I talk about myself in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. But I promise you, I'll I'll talk about some physics stuff food. Yeah, so this is me, Xavier. Then I'm gonna 
um, lead you through the path that I took for my um, academic career and starting from um, my elementary days where my um, love for science and in particular astronomy was um, um, developed. So thanks to my um, um, enthusiastic teachers and supportive parents and I was able to um, enjoy um, science and read books about science and perform experiments, science experiments. But yes, I was particularly um, interested in astronomy. I mean, who, who would have, um, who would not um, be amazed by these pictures alone? Uh, seeing them as a kid would really control the curiosity from within. So yeah, it started in Mabolo Elementary School here in Cebu City. And as I was very fond of science, so it wasn't really a stretch to go to uh, Cebu City National Science High School for my high school education. And luckily I was accepted and as a scholar and in there I also was able to experience, uh, of course, together with my schoolmates and classmates, um, top-notch um, science instruction from um, very capable um, teachers and um, yeah so just a short anecdote I really didn't like math that much like starting starting out but eventually after like in the fourth year of high school I started uh, liking it and there was um, there was some um, news about a scholarship for college education and one of the options was physics so as there was no astronomy um, course yet in the Philippines that time, and I really didn't think of um, um, studying um, outside of Cebu or even abroad. So I thought that the closest thing to that was uh, physics. So I, again, I was really fortunate to get this um, scholarship from the DOST, the Department of Science and Technology. And um, yeah, I, I ended up, um, taking up BS Applied Physics in the University of San Carlos. So I am one of their alumni. So among other physics subjects, which are, I realized that we're really dependent on mathematics and like hardcore <laughs> science, physics. I also got to do some experiments, which, which is really a thing that I like and I love to do. And one of those is my thesis, together with my thesis partner, Dexter Manalili, um, which, um, which I did photoacoustic spectroscopy. So what is photoacoustic spectroscopy? From the word itself, it is made of photo and acoustic, so that's light and sound. And this term, spectroscopy, which I will um, be um, telling you about in more detail later. So essentially what we did was um, if you take a look at this diagram here, you place a sample of gas inside a chamber or a, a cell, a small cell, then you shine light on it, so a laser light. So as the laser light shines on these gas molecules, they absorb some of its energy and in turn it heats up 
So muinit ang katong susulod sa chamber. And then what what the trick is what we do is we turn we turn the laser on and off at a certain frequency. So in effect, the heating that takes place in the chamber also is at a certain frequency. So if we tune the lacing frequency, I mean the turning on and off at an audible range, that makes us, um, that lets us detect some kind of sound. And so in that way, um, we, we will be able to determine if a certain gas, a certain gas sample or a certain sample of gas contains a certain absorber or uh, a specific molecule in particular. So for example, in our thesis, we tried to detect and quantify ethylene emissions in fruits. And previously also our previous um, Ates and Kuyas in the department also measured, for example, the emission of ethylene gas from flowers like roses, which signify their ripening or when they're really um, already fresh and blooming. So that's one of one of the applications of photoacoustic spectroscopy. And this is this is our setup, the typical setup that you see in a physics lab. This is the spectrometer. This is your laser. This is the cell where we put the gas in. And you have these flow meters to let in the gas inside. So as as you will see um, later, I will I will. I will be continue. I will continue to talk about spectroscopy because that that is what I ended up with doing in my PhD as well. But before that, um, in after I graduated in the University of San Carlos, I was also able to to teach there for some time in the department, teaching some basic physics courses to engineering students and IT students, architecture students. And at the same time, I also was able to take up my master's there in the same university. And yeah, again, mas, um, higher level than physics <laughs> So more mathematics. So I, so I, I really, um, um, thankfully, it was not too late that I realized that mathematics was really very helpful if you want to take up on this career. So for my thesis during my master's, I was able to go to Amsterdam. Um, I really can't stress enough how fortunate I am because I also have a teacher who invited me there to do a six month project also in spectroscopy. So, so in, in the free university in Amsterdam, what I did was, um, I was able to do um, cavity ring down spectroscopy this time. So what is this um, technique? So in a similar manner as to the photoacoustic spectroscopy, I also have a gas cell, which, which I place the gas sample inside. But instead of trying to produce sound, what we do is we, we let in laser light inside the chamber. And this chamber is, um, in the ends of the chamber, input and output ends are two highly reflecting mirrors, but 
they are partially reflecting. So what does that do? So as the as the laser light comes in, because of the high reflectivity of these mirrors, it is able to pass back and forth through the sample, thus enhancing, sort of enhancing the signal. And as it bounces back and forth, we take a look at the output laser and we can see that it will decay over time. And the stronger the absorption is, then the stronger is the decay and the faster is the decay. So you can already imagine that you can use this to determine if there's a certain amount, quantify the amount of sample inside your chamber. So what I use this for is to investigate molecules that are really interesting in astrophysics. So right now, um, during this time when I knew that I had, I will be, um, I have the chance to do this, I was really excited because I was going back to my roots to astronomy, applying physical uh, physics techniques to astronomy. Yeah, I, I will um, give more detail in this um, problem that we are trying to solve um, in the next um, slides. By the way, this one is a molecular cloud. When astronomers take a look through this cloud, they see some signal which are sometimes known. We know what produced those signals and sometimes we don't. So yeah, so I will talk about it um, later. So another typical setup in a physics lab. So this is the chamber where we produce our um, molecules. And then this is the spec laser part here with the spectrometer and then some bunch of mirrors and then the gas tank. Okay. Um, so after that um, six-month um, thesis, thesis work, I went back to the Philippines, to Cebu, to defend my thesis. And, and I, was, um, I was able to um, apply for a PhD position back in the Netherlands, and but this time I work with Leiden University as well. So, so it was a joint project between the Free University in Amsterdam and University of Leiden. So, um, this is what I did there for my PhD was a continuation of the master's project. So, I will tell you the details right now. Um, so I guess every one of us has seen some kind of rainbow, maybe an artificial one where you have a prism and you let um, white light shine on that prism. And you will notice um, different colors that will be dispersed from that white light. This is because the interaction of light and matter produces this effect. Actually, that's the, that's the definition of spectroscopy, the interaction of light and matter. So as you can see from this um, figure, white light, which is composed of um, various colors with different wavelengths, so the wavelengths are this one, they, um, they have different effects or they travel at different speeds as they go through a certain medium like glass, for example, a gra glass prism. In effect, this disperses all the colors that 
are the constituents of that white light. So some, again, some common examples, the rainbow, like also some crystals producing the rainbow spectrum and some prismatic road signs, which are really helpful in the streets, especially at night. So basically, if you have a light source, for instance, a uh, very common light source is the sun, a very hot glowing um, ball of gas. And you let sunlight pass through a prism, a dispersing medium, then what you get is a continuous spectrum. So it's, it's a collection of all the colors of light from the sun. If, on the other hand, you have a cold gas in front of the sun or of your light source, you will notice that some of these colors get lost. And you can see from this absorption spectrum that indeed there are black lines here, which signify that these colors have been absorbed somehow by the gas here. And to verify that further, if you take a look at this cold gas that absorbed the, the sunlight, so after some time, if you take a look at it, it will eventually give off that the same light that it um, absorbed. So you can see from the emission spectrum. So and maklaro po ni nga, they are complementary. So what is absorbed is what is emitted. And um, yeah, so how do we do this? Um, how do we utilize this technique, spectroscopy? So in here, here on Earth, um, and when this technique was developed, so in the lab, um, scientists in the 19th century um, collected samples of um, chemicals and they, they applied flame and burned it and noticed that um, these chemicals give off a certain color. So if you're a student who has gone through a chemistry course, so kanang mga flame test, nga, vibrant colors nga give off same mga chemicals. Monay, um, a certain certain chemical di has a certain color that it gives off and it absorbs consequently. So therefore, we can therefore use that information, that emission information and absorption information to sort of tag the elements and molecules to their specific sort of barcode or their signature spectrum. So here I show, um, I show um, the, the periodic table of elements with their specific um, spectrum. And therefore you can, use, again, you can use this information therefore to detect and to, um, to measure a certain species in a certain sample. For example, the sun. If you um, look at the spectra of the sun, it is actually not a complete, um, um, a complete a absorption continuous spectrum sorry but it is a, actually an absorption spectrum with with different um, absorption lines um, brought about by the earth's atmosphere and even the atmosphere of the sun and in fact for example in this figure here this is a spectrogram of the sun stacked together 
for example, these lines are from sodium in the atmosphere of the sun, which are much cooler than the internal um, core of the sun. So that's why you, you, you get these absorption lines. And in fact, helium was first discovered in the sun before it was discovered here on Earth. So this, this line here is from helium. So that really goes to show how, how important and how, um, how special is spectroscopy in this kind of um, investigations. And here you can see a absorption spectrum and converted into a absorption um, graph where you have in your, your x-axis the wavelength of the light or the colors of the light and in the y-axis your intensity. Then the dips denote the absorption of that certain color. And in this figure, it's for hydrogen. So I hope I can still um, continue. Um, in, during my PhD, this is what I tried to um, help solve is the diffuse interstellar bands. These are, these are absorption features actually that astronomers see uh, in the plane of our own galaxy. And this was first discovered by Mary Leah Hedger um, about a hundred years ago. Um, so during her PhD, so she um, noticed and recorded some absorption lines that were not known at that time, which turned out to be quite a special um, set of lines. So the two lines are, the first characteristics are they are diffuse. So um, I show here two examples of these diffuse interstellar bands. In comparison to the atomic lines, the, the lines produced by atoms, these are quite sharp. And in the, in the absorption spectrum, they are quite defined. But the diffuse interstellar bands, they, they, they are sort of uh, blurry. So that's why they're diffuse. So they're interstellar. How do we know they're interstellar? without even going there. So one, one way of doing that is also by looking at the spectrum of, for example, binary stars. So take a look at this uh, image here, and you have two stars here, and this is us, the green dot. Notice as the stars revolve around a certain common point, the absorption lines um, corresponding to a particular star also shift. And you will see that as, as a star moves towards the observer, the lines of, of that particular star move towards the blue and vice versa. It moves away, it moves towards the red. So let's take a look at the absorption of B, the star B, and it will rotate counterclockwise. As you can see, as it moves towards us, it moves to the blue, it moves away from us, it moves to the red. So we know from here that if something is moving, um, the color that they, they emit shift towards the blue or the red. Just like um, the sound of an ambulance changes as it moves towards us or away from us. So therefore, if you have a certain absorber in front of you and you notice that it's not moving, their absorption lines are not moving. So these lines must be interstellar and that must be um, something uh, caused by something in between the star and you. And since 100 years ago, um, astronomers, physicists, and chemists 
and modelers have have found astronomers have found 500 plus of these um, features, but not not a single one of them have been assigned to a particular specific element or chemical yet. So again, how do we do that in the lab? So we work together with um, various um, fields as how scientific research goes. So astronomers are like field workers who collect data. So they collect light because they couldn't go there actually personally. And then we have the theorists who piece together information and try to think of various models to explain what, what astronomers see. And here we are the lab people who try to synthesize chemicals and get um, spectral signatures and tell astronomers what we found and try to see if there's a match. So that's the basic gist of what we are doing. So for my PhD, I these are the, first these are the candidates for the DIB carriers or the absorbers of the diffuse interstellar bands. And as you can see, they're quite exotic um, molecules. And what I got to study are the long carbon chains. And in Leiden, what I did was um, I used this lamp and, and used the same chamber as in Amsterdam, but used a broadband light so as to cover more, more region at a particular time, so as to hasten and hasten the searching process. So this is a typical spectrum that we get. Um, here below are the absorption spectrum, just flipped over for convenience. And this is the absorption spectrum again using the more high resolution setup in Amsterdam. So we can see the fine resolution that will help us determine the structure and the characteristics of the molecule that we are looking at. So yeah, we perform a scan, we, we look at spectrum and compare it with the spectrum observed by astronomers and try to see if we, we have a match or we have a coincidence at first. So I just show here some examples and we found that although there are coincidences that we found, this does not guarantee that we have really pinpointed the, the culprit or the absorbers of the diffuse interstellar bands because this, this goes through a rigorous process. And yeah, so a typical spectrum that I could get in one day will be like this, Very various lines that I need to assign. But again, uh, I wasn't able to um, determine the dead carriers, but as we, as we study these molecules, we also learn a lot from them. Like, for example, this, this may not really um, be impressive to you, but this shows us which energies and which colors of light a particular molecule can absorb and can emit and we this may have this might have various applications that um, in in manufacturing in materials and chemistry but yeah, at least we we know something we know a bit as we do these experiments but the good news is um, in 2015 actually two to five of these interstellar band been um, 
assigned and are continuously being tested right now to this Buckmiller fullerene ion. So this is a special molecule of carbon, pure carbon, made up of 60 carbon atoms arranged in, in a soccer, like a soccer ball, and it's ionized. So this was from a group in Switzerland, by the way. And yeah, so that's only two to five of these 500 plus molecules. So the problem is still very, very hot and very interesting. So um, in conclusion, um, so I started as a physicist and I was lucky enough to find my way back to being an, to do what I love, astrophysicist. And after what I did there, I went back here from last, from July last year and I taught in San Carlos and I tried to help the optics lab do um, some activities here and there. And for this sem, I also am now teaching in the University of the Philippines, teaching biology and computer science students as well as mathematics students. So what's next is um, we'll have to see and, and just uh, press on to this um, academic path that I'm trying to, trying to follow. So again, thank you and I'm ready for some questions. So we do have questions from live audience, but before we proceed to there, I do have a couple of questions that I wrote down here. Uh, yes, Irvin. First, let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. No, no. What made you decide uh, oh, okay. to choose That's the physics question. course over, well, everything else? Was but there a honest, particular reason? Yes, yes, and I am not ashamed that I was really influenced by the scholarship from the USD. Back in our time, it was really a, a an attractive um, sum of money that they're willing to support students to pursue cor courses, um, pursue programs in science and technology and engineering. So my friends can attest to this, that um, somehow we decided to take up physics because of this. but. Yeah, I, I really had a general knack for science, um, even when I was still younger. And again, that was thanks to my parents and um, support from my teachers. So not only the passion, but also the money. Yes, it's really helpful. <laughs> also, you mentioned that physics has is very involved in heavy mathematics. So yes. what can you say to those people who doubt their skills in mathematics that want to be in this course okay if you want to be in if you want to take up physics i'm really sure that you will get to love mathematics without even knowing it you you will be forced to learn and you will be also amazed how beautiful mathematics is a tool in order to describe our our the nature or our surroundings so but my turning point was during high school. Um, what I can tell you is um, give mathematics a chance. Um, I found that when I, when my mindset was, I, I just don't like mathematics, I, it's really hard. I will, I will never really get to learn and appreciate it. But if I just take a look at how 
simple, at least the basic mathematic principles are, and try to appreciate it, it will be easier for you to, to learn and go on to more advanced topics. So it's just a matter of change of perspective, I think, at least for me. Right, and also when the professor starts teaching you the shortcuts, it becomes easier somehow? Yes. Yeah, because uh, mathematics, um, as a physicist, you only use mathematics as a tool. It's up to you if you want to learn how to derive stuff or stuff, but it's the job of mathematicians to think about this and physicists to apply them. All right, so now let's talk about uh, your master's and PhD. Uh, do we really need to pursue your education this field to become what successful somewhat? I really thank you for that question because I am I have something, I have my two cents for that. Um, right. A degree is not everything. Success mm -hmm. is um, success is relative. And um, yeah, I, as I frequently, I'm saying as we went through the slides, I was really fortunate that I was able to go through um, this and was able to um, go to higher education, but. If you really just love physics, you don't don't need even to take up physics as 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 an individual. I encourage you to um, um, I mean have a a decent um, amount of science literacy because it can really um, take you a long way. But for example, if you are a physicist, um, our current enrollees now current students and those planning to go to physics um you don't really need to pursue masters or phd um it just so happens that i got to do this because of the help of many people and i also love to do this i i really love research and teaching that's my um i mean that's, that's how i see myself as a teacher and you will get to see in the next um videos hopefully there will be many many more of these webinars that it is not only in the academy that physicists thrive and yeah you will just be surprised that how how a physics degree can help you in pursuing any career that you want you'd want in the future so james wants to know how did you get the opportunity to perform your undergrad thesis abroad and how did you apply for a phd abroad yes so for my undergrad um so i was um doing my thesis with dexter manalili hi to dexter um in the university of san carlos in cebu so uh, in, under the supervision of sir raymond sarmiento so there was already a setup there but as for um going abroad for the masters um, I have a friend, pro professor, goes by the name Dr. Edsel Salombides, who, who came from Amsterdam. He's also a Filipino from USC. And he taught for some three months in the university. And somehow, I, I think he tried to recruit students who were interested in optics and, and spectroscopy in general. Because in uh, universities of in USC, we don't have really a spectroscopy subject like dedicated for spectroscopy other than modern physics or quantum mechanics. So he was there and he taught us some lab skills and 
um, you probably found me um, um, enthusiastic enough to do this stuff and willing to labor for this kind of um, research. So yeah, it's it's kind of um, there's two ways to be able to pursue these kinds of stuff. Like if you want to go to master's degree or PhD degree, if you want to take this, you either apply for it for a scholarship or a fellowship, or you have your network that can attest that you can do these types of research and then you can, um, that you are willing to dedicate your time and heart on these kinds of stuff. So yeah, I, I went for the network route for my, um, for my master's and PhD. So that's how I got got these um, opportunities. So you really had to uh, make your own way. Yeah. Yes, with the help of um, with the help of people and connections. People, yeah, many people, yeah. So JP wants to know what are what are the knowledge that we need if we want to pursue physics in the context of astronomy. Well, this is only, that's a good um, question. This is only one aspect of astronomy. And this is what I like because this is what I did, no? Astronomical spectroscopy, laboratory astrophysics. Um, there's also theoretical astrophysics, like what Adrian Abak, our alumni and master students, is doing. So in, in USC, as far as I know, there's there's not a dedicated course for astronomy and astrophysics but as as you saw i didn't have spectroscopy units when i took up um, undergrad or masters i only had basic and core physics knowledge maybe a little bit advanced physics knowledge as well but i mean this stuff you get to learn especially if you're trying to delve into specific topics and specialized topics you get to learn this as you as you study as you do your master's or your phd so you don't need to worry that much um yeah you can expose yourself to different articles that interest you different to topics that interest you as you study your physics degree and that will they'll hopefully come along when the opportunity um strikes you have to really start early learning the the concepts right um yeah although um it's not necessary um all right <laughs> i really just want to tell you that it's you don't need to be a genius to be in this um in this you, you just you just need to be passionate enough passionate. and willing to learn yeah. willingness to learn and be diligent in your studies. Mm -hmm. So you you mentioned Adrian Abak Kalina. So he actually has a question for you, oh. and it's two parts. Yes, it's kind of a mouthful. Mm -hmm. So the first part, he asks, can we infer the internal composition of an astrophysical object from spectroscopy observations, or is it limited to the outer layers, i.e., atmosphere of the object? So that's the first part of his question. Yes, can, can I answer that first? Para ah, sure, sure. <laughs> so that's that's a nice question, and that's a very hot topic in astrophysics right now, in the in the quest and search for exoplanets. And 
um, unfortunately, because we couldn't go to those to those celestial objects, we can only gather information from the light that we see in them, through them, or surrounding them. So, example for exoplanets, we get to see, we get to know the composition of their atmospheres when there's a source behind that exoplanet and we get to see through the, the light that goes through the atmosphere, however thin it is, we get to see it in our spectroscopes here on Earth, telescopes with spectroscopes here on Earth. So maybe one, one way we can, we can determine the internal composition of a certain object, for example, um, um, maybe Enceladus, for example. Enceladus is a moon of Saturn. I hope I'm correct. Europa was in um, Jupiter. But anyways, these moons um, emit can emit material from their core, so through their volcanic volcanic um, structures, and these plumes can also serve as your molecular clouds or yeah atomic clouds where you just need to have them glow or some have some light source behind them to be able to determine what comprises those plumes and in turn what comprises the inside of that moon or planet for example so the second and, part of his yes, question is a follow-up question to the first mm. one yeah. So is it a matter of optimization of the experiment or a wrong identification of molecules when we have matches with astronomical observations that are not really identical? So it's a matter of more testing. That's the keyword, testing. Because um, as, as the test of this particular hypothesis become very stringent and as that hypothesis pass many of these tests and the more convinced scientists will be that that indeed is the cause of of that certain phenomenon or that's the absorber of the days or that's the particular molecule that absorb this kind or emit this kind of light so peer review testing that will um um sort of put a nail on the coffin and this um um, problems, scientific problems in research. Right, so we have another question from Seth. Hi, sir. How did you? How did the researchers decide which molecules or chemical species were most likely to give the spectrum? Yes. So, indeed, um, we are guided by um, theoretical um, astro astrophysicists and modelers. So. Um, spectroscopy in its heart can be described using quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is essentially trying to describe the interaction of small particles and radiation like or energy, like light. So modelers and theor theorists um, use computers and, and plug in these equations and theories describing a particular size and shape of molecule and they are able to determine the likely likely regions where 
these molecules may absorb or emit these kinds of lights. So these deep carrier candidates, as you can see, I hope you can see from, from the screen, the long carbon chains and rings, PAHs or your polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons like soot and the exotic fullerenes, these large molecules typically have their signature spectrum in the visible part where the div diffuse interstellar bands reside. So that gives us a clue that ah, it, it's likely that these molecules are the culprit of these um, um, absorption features. And other than that, we also, astronomers also can verify that indeed these, these molecules can exist. Like for example, you, you, you can't expect a carbon-based molecule to exist in a cloud. If you, if in your theories of star formation or planet formation, you don't expect carbon to be there in that certain location. So combining those information, we get to know which um, possible candidates can we look at and try to search for features. Right, so your thesis is really more on spectroscopy, right? So what are the skills necessary to pursue spectroscopy, whether it be math or anything? Yes. And for me, um, because I'm like an experimentalist, um, if you want to do experiments, it will turn out that it will be not that easy. Sometimes your laser breaks down without any reason. Sometimes you just can't get that um, absorption that you want and you expect. And sometimes you also unexpectedly see something. So probably um, the best way is persistence and not being faced by a negative result. So for example, for me, I, I, I dreamed of identifying at least one carrier of the diffuse interstellar bands, but I, I did not. But I am happy and with, with what I got, what information I got to learn, and especially doing these um, experiments. So, yeah, as an experimentalist, you need to be persistent, you need to have grit, then the patience in doing these um, um, experiments in the lab, you need to persevere. And in terms of mathematics, again, um, just need to um, practice and and focus on the mathematics that you need for your particular application. So that's in that ma in that way you don't get you don't get overwhelmed with the higher level mathematics and all the mathematics that you don't necessarily need for your particular experiment or application. So Adrian wants to know, is it possible to construct an overarching theoretical model that could cover as many of these dibs? Or is, it, is this unique per molecule? Yes. Um, the, so far, um, the 100-year the investigation about this problem points to different molecules to different dibs. So it's not just one carrier for all of these dibs. As you saw from the example for C60 plus, 
um, um, we only um, astronomers, scientists, spectroscopists were only able to identify five out of these that are attributed to C60 plus. So um, maybe, I um, know, uh, not maybe, but these DEBs have show some some um, some amount of correlation. There there have been categorizations and families of these DIBs. So what I mean is um, some DIBs, when you look at a particular star in a, in a galactic plane of Milky Way, some DIBs are stronger, some DIBs are weaker, and they go by the same amount. And if you look at another direction, another star, look at that sight line, you see a different ratio of these um, absorption intensities. So that's a that's that's some steps in 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 um, towards a sort of unified unified um, unified description of these absorption bands. But so far, these bands are independent for each other, other than those uh, families with correlations. Hello? Are you there, Irvin? I, I, I can't hear you, Irvin. Hello, Doc. I'm Hanyut. Hello. Oh, oh hello. Oh, sorry. Okay. This uh, hmm. So we have another question from Hannah yes. Yuson. Keep them coming, Hannah. <laughs> he says hi. Hello. So any lab life secret? tips especially for starting young researchers yes yeah, so yeah maybe similar sa akong giingon ganiya nga do not be faced by a negative result um especially if you're a laboratory person if you're an experimentalist it will take um some patience from you like for example if you're setting up your experimental device or or you're preparing a sample and somehow it it fails you can't afford to um to give up if you if you want to know about something i hope that will drive you to continue and like just press on and um yeah and take care of yourself if you have to stay in the lab for long, 
make sure that you get some rest and eat well. Especially if nanay pa dunga resort kay may excite ka. But yeah, in general, just be persistent and um, press on your experiments. Right. So we do have a couple more questions, but is it okay if we proceed with one last question? It's okay with me any any anyway. Okay, so Brian Sanchez wants to know, aside from the academe, what other career paths may be applied physics students may take? Do you have any friends or colleagues that have pursued careers that weren't in the academe? Yes, I have lots and lots of brilliant friends. My batchmates, they, they inspire me. Um, and as you will see, I hope you can, I hope you will be able to um, follow this webinar series because this is not only for this day. Next week, Nanapod. In the next right. week after next, Nanapod. So you will get to see other physicists, other alumni from USC applied physics in various um, fields, not only in the academe, but also in the industry and different sectors. Right, so unfortunately, we do have more questions, but I think it's a good time to stop it right here. If if they may have questions, they, they can certainly send me an email if they are interested, or maybe have it through you guys. Right, so we did compile the, the questions that I wasn't able to ask. Yeah. So thank no you problem. so much, Dr. Bakalia, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for Kit for inviting me, Kit Herdias. Thank you, Fisok, for organizing this. I hope this goes a long way through the semester and through many years. It's really nice for Cebuano physics and physics right. in so general. Next, so next week, we will be joined by another guest. Just check out the USC Physics and Astronomy Society Facebook page for more details. So once again, thank you so much, Doc Bakalia, for joining us. Thank you very much. And can I ask your permission? Uh, sure. <laughs> for those of you who are interested, you can view my YouTube channel. Um, pabagayan lagi ding nang nanangidam ko gapon nga pwede ko magaplag. So, kung isudyante mo uh, sa high school or sa college nga nagtake og basic physics, so I I'm currently in the process of making YouTube videos um, um, with physics um, physics courses in mechanics and electromagnetism. So that's entitled Two Slow Physics in YouTube. So I hope to see you there. Right. Thank you very much, Ervin. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you, Doc. So guys, check out Two Slow Physics on YouTube and subscribe. Two yes. Slow. <laughs> Salamat na salamat na keep safe everyone. So ano na? Ah, bye na daw. Salamat kayo ha. <laughs> ah, yes daw, bye. I hope kay okay ra to. Nya. Ngana na nalingaw ra pud bonya. Pangita git mugdagang ko ana. Sus dagan git tag mga